tonight. Let's go to the word of God. Hebrews 12 on tonight. Again, the book of Hebrews 12 on tonight. Ushers are making available Bibles. If you don't have a Bible tonight, I want to encourage you to take a Bible on tonight. Certainly want to take a moment to acknowledge the Lord and his presence on tonight. And uh, thank God for all of the pastors and the elders and the leaders that are Bless you. Welcome tonight. My wife is absent. We were on the road all day today. Rode up to Raleigh to spend some time with our boys. They can't even come home at all until way after Christmas. And so we just thought we'd go up there and spend some time with them. Uh, and uh, so she sends her love regards on tonight. She'll be with us tomorrow night for the shut-in. But in the meanwhile, on her behalf, let me just extend a very warm welcome to all of you tonight and to those that are online. God bless you. I know she's online tonight. So certainly thank God for Pastor Sharon, even in her absence on tonight. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 on tonight. I'm going to switch over to this mic. Thank you, Pastor Dorsey. Hebrews chapter 12 on tonight. And um, I want to start a teaching on tonight. Hebrews chapter 12. And we want to start with verse Hebrews uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. Once again, Hebrews chapter 12 uh, and verse 1 on tonight. If you've got it, come on, say amen. amen. The Bible says, therefore, uh, Hebrews 12 and 1, therefore, uh, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, uh, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin uh, which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is the race that is set before us hallelujah looking unto jesus looking unto jesus the author and uh, the finisher of our faith is that what your bible says for who the joy uh, that was set before him endured the cross that is despising the shame and he has sat down on the right hand of God that is the throne of God for consider him who consider Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls uh, let's read uh, that latter part of verse 2 uh, verse 3 again for consider him the author wants you to think about Jesus you think you've gone through some things and you think you've been disappointed and attacked and accused and hurt. The author says, why don't you take a look at Jesus? Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and uh, discouraged in your souls. I want to talk tonight just for the next few moments. Uh, and I don't know if this title uh, rings a bell with you or not tonight, but uh, my goal tonight is that we have a very comprehensive and a very meaty Bible study on tonight. I want to talk Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus, the author and uh, the finisher of our faith. I want to say that one more time because that's the subject and that's the center point, the epicenter of tonight's Bible study. Jesus, the author and uh, the finisher of our faith. Um, tonight we look at Jesus, and uh, it's Thursday night, yes, and and, 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 and we're here tonight and our goal and one of the passions and the excitement and the expectations that I have is that when you come to family night Thursday nights or Thursday night family night worship night that there's something for the whole 
family. And it's our ambition to teach. Uh, and by the way, not just me, but our teaching teams. Uh, I talked to some of the pastors and leaders already that moving into 2017 will teach more in teams, more than just unilateral teaching. So uh, as the old saints would say, keep your finger on something, all right? Uh, as we begin to teach in teams, uh, may it be known and, reserved and, 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 and resolved that we teach and preach Jesus the Christ, Son of God, the, uh, the living one. Make no mistake about it. We will not be a church that deals just with the social, economical, or the social, political, or the geopolitical, but it will be known far and wide that they really focus on Jesus and Jesus the Christ, Son of God, uh, the living one. And though we don't know the author of Hebrews, and that is an, a very known fact, we don't know the author of Hebrews. What we do know is that he or she, for that matter, spends a lot of time focusing on Jesus, <clears throat> the Christ. Uh, so let's go to chapter 12 and uh, verse 1. Let me give you a couple of Bible study rules tonight and something you should always be on the lookout when you read the word of God. Uh, some of you have been around long enough to know, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, come on, tell, tell me what happens. You need to know what is therefore. You may want to take a note of that. Anytime you see the word therefore, you need to find out what is Therefore, one of the common mistakes we make in Bible study is just because it's the beginning of a chapter or the beginning of a paragraph, we think that the word of God and the message starts in that paragraph. In this case, chapter 12 starts with the word therefore. It's almost impossible to understand the author's context or his motive without backing up. So therefore, since we are surrounded, let's stop right there, time out. Why would the author say therefore? You really don't understand or you really won't comprehend chapter 12 without understanding chapter 11. Now, here's the danger of chapter 11. Here's the temptation of chapter 11. It is a loaded chapter. No one in this room combined, I think, can go into chapter 11 in one setting. I don't even think you can read or study chapter 11 in two or three settings combined. It's probably going to take a very thorough, consecutive set of Bible studies just to, just to embrace chapter 11. It's full of revelation, full of examples, full of powerful principles. And I'll give you an example. When you look at Hebrews 11, probably two of the most Familiar verses of scripture in the New Testament is found in verse 11, uh, chapter 11. Let's look at chapter 11, verse 1. We can read it together probably without looking at it. Now, faith is the of things and the of not seen. Most of us know that scripture. It's a very powerful reminder that faith not was the substance, but faith is the substance. In other words, faith is always progressive. Faith is never static. Faith never stands still. In fact, faith is more so a verb than it is a noun because faith is belief in action. Faith is belief in action. And listen, I'm already breaking my own rules tonight. I'm fast to be talking about chapter 11, not even talking about faith, but it's impossible. Speaking of impossibility, look at verse 6. For, uh, but it is impossible to what? To please God, for he who cometh to the Lord uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm coming out of a different version. I'm sorry, let me read it out of the King James Version. Uh, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a what? Of them that diligently seek him. There's a whole lot of thought by itself about faith. 
We'll cover a lot of this probably in the month of February. I'm looking at February being a month dealing with a lot of faith teaching and teaching about belief and action. Uh, here's what we need to know tonight. In Hebrews 12, the author begins by therefore. Therefore, since we now understand Hebrews 11, we can now go forward. Uh, let me give you the clefts. Uh, let me give you the clef notes. I'll try to give it to you in 30 seconds. Therefore, since we know about the heroes mentioned in chapter 11, what heroes? The cloud of witnesses. What cloud of witnesses? Uh, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, you name it. Chapter 11 is basically a hall of fame about those men and women who did tremendous things by faith. Noah, the Bible says he was divinely warned by faith. He moved. He moved. He began to prepare an ark. You know the story about Noah, don't you? Uh, by faith, am I right about that? Uh, Abel gave an offering. And though Abel is dead, his offering still speaks. Enoch, by faith. Man, that boy was so bad, he pleased God so that he never saw death. So there's so many things that happen by faith. Why is that important tonight? What are you and I doing by faith tonight? Moses, by faith, he made a decision. I'd rather be labeled, I'd rather be labeled with the children of Israel than sin for a season or to be identified as Pharaoh's son. All right? Uh, by faith, Abraham, he, he lived in a certain place. He moved. He dwelt. He waited. By faith, all of these great things happen. And you know what? Guess what? If you keep reading chapter 11, there's a lot of other areas of faith that we really don't know the name of the men or the woman of God. In other words, by faith, watch this, uh, kingdoms were subdued. By faith, justice was administered. By faith, the mouths of lions were closed. By faith, there were those who resurrected from the dead. Mothers brought back their children from the dead. By faith, what can we say more? There were those who were tortured, mocked, scourged, stoned to death, cut in half. I mean, you think you've gone through some something because someone invites you to the Christmas rally? All right? The Bible, you know, see, again, it's hard not to talk about 11 and go into chapter 12. But I can't help but read this latter part. Look at 11, verse 15. Women received, excuse me, verse 35. Women received their dead, uh, again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials and mockings and scourgings, yes, chains and imprisonment. By faith, some were stoned and they were cut in two. They were tempted and slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and in goatskins and, and in destitute and afflicted and tormented, assumed, and, and whom the world was not even worthy. Some of our brothers and sisters by faith wandered in deserts. Some of them wandered in mountains. Some of them lived in dens. Some were in caves. And these are our brothers. These are our sisters. And you know what the Bible says about all of them? They did all of this by faith and never saw the promise. They got rewarded, and they got blessed, but they never saw in their lifetime the promise that you and I have access to today, and that promise is Jesus the Christ. Therefore, now we can move forward. Come on, say therefore with me. So the author gives this great illustration and this great depiction of these heroes, these clouds of witnesses, these great hall of famers, if you will, in faith. And he says to you and I, Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by all of these great people. And you know what? We're not just talking about Old Testament. 
What about the leaders and the heroes of the New Testament? What about the, 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 the heroes of the first century church? What about those who come through the first, second, third, fourth, fifth century? What about those who come through the 19th century, even before there was a Pentecostal movement in Azusa Street? What about those old holy rollers that the Baptists and the Methodists, you know, b b before the Pentecostals and the Charismatics got it going on, the Pentecostals came on the scene in, in the early, the really, really late 1800s, so 1890, 1895, 1905, 1907, and so on. The Pentecostals tongue, laying on a hand, casting out the devil, you had some holy rollers in the Methodist and in the Baptist church back in the mid-1800s. There was revival all throughout the land before the spirit, the, what, what we would call the third wave of the Holy Ghost, the Pentecostal revival, before all of that in the early 1900s, there were Baptists and Methodists and even some Presbyterians who were full of the Holy Ghost. And so I say, y'all, what about those heroes? The author says, since we are surrounded by great history of men and women of God who've done some great things by faith, shouldn't you and I lay aside some weight? Should we lay aside our sins that so easily beset us? In fact, the word uses snare. So since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Now, here's what I want you to do real quick, because we're Bible studying tonight. Keep your finger on ensnare and just turn to Psalm 91. We see this word snare before. And I want to talk tonight out of experience, and I want to talk out of trans, trans, uh, uh, transparency, and I want to talk to you tonight about the snare of the enemy. Because I don't believe the author of Hebrews uses it by accident. Everything in the Word of God is there for a reason. There's no such thing as in the Word by accident. Every term, every vernacular, every, every, every word that is used, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, you name it, I believe God sanctioned it. He breathed upon it, and it is useful today, 2016 and beyond. So the Bible says these sins can ensnare us. Let's go to Psalm 91 real quick. I just want to I talk tonight, and, and we'll, we'll finish about Jesus being the author and the finisher, hallelujah, of our faith. So Psalm 91, very familiar verse of Scripture. You all know this already. Uh, let's start at verse 1, Psalm 91 and 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, and my God in him I will trust. Verse 3, here we go. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Is that what the Bible says? And from the perilous pestilence, he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. Let me stop right there. Verse 3, surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Now, the fowler is the one who catches birds. The snare is the trap. What are you saying, Pastor Stevens? When we're tempted with sin, when we fall into sin, now remember now, the Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, not a sinner man, not a carnal man, but even a righteous man. God has a plan and God has a purpose and God will raise him up. In this context, it's not just happenstance or, oops, I've blown it. Somebody set a trap for somebody in Psalm 91. That someone is called the fowler, the one who catches birds. And the bird was caught because of the snare or the trap that was set. Let's take that thought and take it back to Hebrews 12. So there are weights and there are sins that we're so easily ensnared to. Now, this is not a message of victimization. We're not blaming nobody else, and we're not going to be Flip Wilson and blame the devil. The truth of the matter is there will be snares in your life, snares in my life, and if we're not discerning and careful, we'll fall prey to the snare. Because there's someone out there setting traps, and his name is the devil. 
There's someone out there, male and or female, that wants to see you fall. And if we're not standing and encouraged and mindful and discerning and biblical and holy, we fall prey every time, time and time again. So the Bible goes on to say, let us lay aside. Now, I, I, I have to make this distinction because not everything is sin. There are some things that aren't sin, but it's a weight. Sometimes we have relationships and they may not be sin, but it's a weight. Sometimes we have distraction, not necessarily a sin. I don't think watching too much TV is a sin, but it can be a weight. Hello? Uh, I, don't, I don't believe eating, eating too much apple pie late at night is a sin, but it can be a weight. And it can add weight. All right? So there are some things that we may be a vigilante against in the spiritual world, but there's still some weight in our lives. So lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. Speaking of the word lettuce, let me give you three lettuce tonight. I want to give you three, quote, let us, uh, for us to consider. When we look at Hebrews 12 tonight, again, we understand the first rule. Rule of engagement number one is we can never really go forward in Hebrews 12 without finding out about Hebrews 11. Uh, let me pause because I feel like I'm preaching tonight. I don't want to preach. I want to teach. Um, Let's do this tonight. I'd like for you to identify at least two or three Old Testament heroes in your life. There's a book John Maxwell wrote years ago called Running, I think it was called Running with, it might have been Running with the Wise or Running with Champions. I forget the name of the book, I'm sorry. Running with, running with the Giants. And the whole book is predicated on running laps. And every lap he ran, he ran with an Old Testament or a New Testament figure. Let's take a couple of minutes tonight. I'd like for you to run a lap real quick. Run a lap with someone in the Old Testament you are fond of. In your mind, can you think of a man or a woman in the Old Testament that you'd consider a, a hero of faith? And when you do, just shout his name or her name. Someone tell me a hero of yours in the Old Testament. Joshua. Abigail. Joseph. Deborah. Naomi. Oh, y'all got some heroes I see in the Old Testament. Ruth, Esther, Job, wow, hallelujah. Who? Solomon, hallelujah. Let's go New Testament. Tell me, uh, give me a New Testament, not, I'm talking about in your personal life. When you think about, you know, the books of the Bible in the New Testament, what character, male or female, stands out as, man, that's, that's, that's the hero I resonate with the most? Paul. Peter, John, which one? John the Baptist, John the Revelator? John the Baptist, excellent. Someone else? Mary, thank you. Mary, Mary, don't you weep. Tell Martha not to moan. All right. Someone else? No, Jesus is no hero to nobody in the New Testament. <laughs> Lonely, loads. Jesus wept. Okay, all right. What about the patristic period? The patristic period. The word patristic means fathers, the period of our fathers. So first century. Who would be those first century heroes? You say Moses? Did you say George Washington? All right, we got to come on, come on back. Come on back in the all right, patristic period. And, and listen, oh boy. Oh boy. I'm going to have to. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a marketing, I'm a marketing type guy as it is. Guys, one of the things, and let me just say this real quick. We have a super-duper sharp strategy team, and it's a team that is, we call it, we, we nicknamed it Grace for Growth. We've been, we've been meeting on Tuesday nights, and it's, 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 it's an incredible team. Sharp, sharp, sharp people. 
one of the things that we're doing is we're asking ourselves, what's the major, most important priorities in this season for our church? What should we be doing like yesterday? We want to see every prophecy fulfilled in this house, no matter what we've gone through. We want to see the end. God knows the end from the beginning. Is that right? So if God knows the end from the beginning, don't you think he knows everything in between? So there's nothing that surprises God. There's nothing going to catch him off, off guard. So we know the word of the Lord is already going out. Now, we don't know the path we've had to take to get to that word coming to pass. See, I'm going to say this. I'm excited about Tuesday nights. There will come a time in the next year where Tuesday nights will become empowerment nights. And what we envision is this facility being used on Tuesday nights for the community. We envision GED classes, English as a second language classes, drug and alcohol counseling. We envision um, a, a divorce care, community different classes. And that's the community perspective. But we also see life skill classes at the same time. And again, it's, it's not mandatory for anyone in the room, but maybe you want to take church history 101. So when we talk about origin, Tutilian, we talk about, you know, Patricia would have been really the, the, the book of Acts, sort of the first 100 century. So technically, Peter, um, uh, the, the, right after the disciples, as they begin to pass away, that was really the patristic period. But now we're thinking second, third, fourth, fifth century. Now you start throwing all of these names in that you've kind of read over the years. And it goes on and on and on. Martin Luther comes in, uh, 15th century, what have you. But we want you to know church history. You know, particularly in that 12, 13, 1400 year season, you're not going to nod your head because it doesn't resonate with you. Because we've been told that those were the dark years of Christianity. But if you really study true church history, you'll find out that those years were anything but dark years. There were miracles. There were revivals. There were all types of things happening in the name of Jesus throughout those years. We just don't know about a lot of that. And so when I think about these classes and, you know, maybe you want to study more on the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to have classes that dedicated on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you want to learn the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah, I, I hear all of these tongues and, and laying on of hand, blah, blah, blah. So, so sometimes we don't have, we don't have the, the, the time to do it on Sundays or Thursdays, but to take a, maybe you just want to walk through the Bible. We're going to walk through the Bible for 52 weeks on Tuesday nights. So what I'm trying to say is this. We want to make sure that our community and our church knows for those who are hungry, there'll be bread. And, and we're not talking about no tuition and no fees. I, we don't envision any of that. What we see is an opportunity for people to learn in segments and in structured settings where you can learn. And if that evolves back into the Bible college, great. If it doesn't, no problem. The goal is that you are empowered in every sense of the word. I've kind of uh, overdid my infomercial there, so let's, let's get back on target. Three letters for us to consider. Uh, number one, let us. Come on, say let us. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin. Let us, number one, we see that in scripture, things that hinder us, things that distract us, things that ensnare us, things that entangle us. Isaiah 59, one reminds us, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But Isaiah says, it is your iniquities, it is your sins that have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. These aren't popular scriptures. These aren't scriptures that we pull up and just want to read and put on our Twitter feed on a daily basis. 
But the truth of the matter is it is what it is, and, and the scriptures ain't going to change for you. It's not going to change for me. It's not title-driven or position-driven. The word of God is objective all by itself, and we got to eventually confront those things that we're not comfortable with, and it's a painful process for some. Better, better learn from other mistakes than from your own. But the Bible says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. That's so easily. It doesn't take a lot. A little leaven. Leaven up the whole lump. It easily besets us. 2 Timothy 2, 3 reminds us tonight. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare. Here's that word again. Entangles himself. Entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Uh, that he may please him who has enlisted him as a, as a soldier. So Paul uses in 2 Timothy uh, 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 2 tonight the, the, the understanding of a soldier, uh, uh, someone who, if you're really going to be on the front line, if you're going to be in the trenches, man, you don't have no time to be entangled with the affairs of this world. And that, that affair may not have been a sin in the world, but it's just stuff you got overly involved in, you got overly concerned with, you got overly uh, and, you know, entangled with. Be careful as Christians, be careful as men and women of God to be faithful and focused to that which God has called you to do. Second let us is let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, tell me again, what was the first let us? Let us what? Every weight and that so easily besets us. What's number two? Let us run with endurance or patience the race that is set before us. Verse 12 and 13, look back at Hebrews 12 and 13. Um, the writer of Hebrews, I think, could take all of Hebrews 12 and really reiterate the second letters. Let us run the race. And by the way, friends, tonight, everyone has a race in this church. Okay? You may be in one lane, and the person sitting in the row behind you may be in another lane. But the truth is, we all have a race. That is set before us. Therefore, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Very, inter very interesting scripture in chapter 12, verse 12 tonight. And I've read this many, many a times, but it really hadn't resonated, um, hadn't really come to light. I don't know if the Lord illuminated it for a reason in this season or not, but it certainly speaks today, whereas in times past it hadn't. The Bible says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And make straight the path for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. All right, let's have a little quiz real quick. What's the first thing that reaches, that stands out to you in Hebrews 12 and 12? I just said it, y'all, 10 minutes ago. Brother Mart, come on, say it again. Therefore, we really can't read verse 12 without backing up just a little bit, right? Come on, y'all, let's go back to Hebrews 12. We're going to get disciplined with this one here. Hebrews 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down. Why would your hands be hanging down? Why would your knees be weak? Well, you're not going to know verse 12 until you back up a little bit. And probably somewhere between verse 5 and verse 11, we find out why the therefore is therefore. The author wants to remind people of the power and the purpose and sometimes the pain of discipline, of chastisement. We've already kind of referenced this the last couple of weeks, so I won't spend a lot of time here. All I know is verse 7 says, excuse me, verse 10 says, for they indeed, I'm sorry, verse 11, that no chastening or disciplining seems joyous for the present. In fact, it's painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
the author gives the whole illustration about how we were brought up and most of us, not all, but most of us come out of homes where we were whooped or had a whooping or discipline. I don't know what you call it, spang, whipping, discipline, beat down, what do you want to call it, all right? Uh, what we know it wasn't was, it wasn't time out and wasn't nobody counting the three. That we know in our community, in our generation, all right? Uh, and no one saw it to be as pleasant and beautiful and all oh, this is nice, nice and cute and all that. Oh, it's tough, painful, hurt. But it made us better men and women of God. It made us better children. We respected our elders. Back in those days, you could get whooped by more than just your mama and your daddy. Everybody on your street had access to whooping you. And I, I grew up in the state of Texas, so, you know, when we had family reunions and family gatherings, all the aunties could whip you in the same evening with the same switch with one little leaf on the end. All right? And guess what? Parents wouldn't have done nothing. They would have thanked them for taking care of that situation. Nowadays, you whoop my child, we're going to court. And that's the day we live in. But the author says, at the end of the day, there's a fruit and a result that comes from chastening or discipline. Therefore, don't be down too long. In fact, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight the path for your feet, so that what may be lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. I want to read that one more time out of the HCSB version. I think it's the Holman SB, SCB version. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and your weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated when it is healed instead. Let us lay aside the weight and the sin. Let us run the race that is set before us. Finally, and third tonight, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us, verse 2, Fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's go back to Hebrews 12 and 2. Looking unto Jesus, my Bible says, the author and finisher of our faith. I want to stop right there just for a moment. There's several uh, uh, translations to that particular scripture that I appreciate, but the one that stands out is the RSV, the Reserve Standard Version. Jesus is the pioneer and the protector of our faith. Not only does he begin the work of faith in your life, but the longer you live, the more he perfects faith in your life. But that will only become a reality if you look unto Jesus. Our problem, my problem, your problem, our problem from time to time is that we take our eyes off of Jesus. Peter had that same problem. Remember Peter walking on the water? As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he defied gravity. He, performed, he walked in the, uh, the performance of a miracle. But the minute Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and began to look down, his reasoning and his logic took over his faith in God. And isn't that what we do when we worry? Isn't that what we do when our bills are bigger than our blessings? When our problems are bigger than his promises? When it seems like we got more uh, month at the end of money than money at the end of the month? I mean, as long as we're in prayer and we're in praise and worship and as long as we're in the house of God with the saints, man, we can believe God to move mountains and we can believe God to conquer kingdoms. But, man, when we get home and get a little argument or uh, kids get on your last nerve or got to go in early tomorrow or what have it, my God, all of a sudden things have changed. How, how easy the climate changes when we involve ourselves in anxiety. Philippians 4 and 6, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about a thing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the peace of God will rule your heart and guard your heart. But we don't have peace 
that, group, that, 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 that guides our steps, our guards our heart, because we're more anxious and more worried than we are praying about his promises. So fix our eyes on Jesus. Here's, here's why we have to do that. Number one, because he's the beginning and the end of our faith. He's the author. In other words, he's going to write the script of your faith living life. He's going to write the script of all of the ups and downs, the ins and outs, the good and the bad. He writes the book and the chapters of your life. He's the author of your faith. But thanks be unto God, not only does he write the book, he seals the deal. So he doesn't just begun the work, Philippians 1 and 6 in you. He completes it to the very end. And that has to be the confidence that we all have tonight, is that the book has already been written. The Bible has already been sealed. We already know the end from the beginning. We don't have to cross our fingers and get a rabbit's foot and, and do some chance to figure out how this thing is going to end. We know in the book of Revelation how all this ends and how it will work for the saints. All things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So he, because he's the author and the finisher, or better yet, because he's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, uh, one version, the finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, not only that, but he's the rewarder of our faith. He's the rewarder. Again, Hebrews 11 and 6. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What are you saying tonight? If we fix our eyes on Jesus, and I know that's not an easy thing to do, not in a world of distractions, not in a world of dislocations, not in a world of all of the doubt and the deserters and the debt, but if we fix our eyes on Jesus, everything that we're believing God for will come to pass. Uh, finally, I want to share this last thought because, you know, it's, you, 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 can, you can fix your eyes on Jesus, but can you keep your eyes on Jesus? You did run well, but who hindered you? Our beginning is always great, but can we stay the course? Can we complete the course? And that's the challenge I believe that we have to address in our lives. How do we keep our eyes on Jesus? Well, the Bible says, consider him who endured opposition and bitter hostility so that you do not grow weary, that is, lose heart and become discouraged. Two thoughts I'll close with tonight. Number one, stay encouraged in your living for God. I pray tonight you can feel and sense more than you hear. Because it's so easy to do this when all is going well. There are no problems. Everything at home is fine. Everything on the job is great. All the relationships are in order. Money's in the bank. Man, it's so easy to continue to live for the Lord. But can you live for the Lord when you've been laid off your job? It's a real deal. Can you live for the Lord in this turbulence with your children? I mean, can you stay the course and stay really focused and fixed on Jesus when it seems like your whole life is unraveled right before your eyes? And you know what? Sometimes it's not nobody's fault but yours. It's not always how we start. It's how we finish. Consider him who endured such hostility. Amplified version says bitter hostility so that you won't grow weary and lose heart and become discouraged. I believe tonight in closing that if we lay aside every sin and every weight, if we run the race that's set, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, there are some things in your lifetime that you shall see. There are some things in your lifetime you will experience. I want you to stand to your feet tonight. I just want to take the last couple of minutes and just speak over your lives. I just sense something just as we prepare for the shut-in on tomorrow and such a phenomenal weekend ahead of us. Um, I believe there's some things that can be taught tonight, but there's some things that have to be caught tonight. 
And sometimes we're looking to be taught something when in essence you should be catching something. Some things can't be taught, it has to be caught. I've been asking the Lord for that, 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 that moment in the service where there's a clear shift. That is only so much the letter of the law can do. But it is the spirit that gives life. Holiday seasons are always stressful seasons for most of us. As we near the end of the year, even the apps and the social media captures the whole year review now. Now everybody's in this reflective, contemplative mode about the prior year. I was talking to a pastor today out of the state of Virginia, and he said, Stephen, 017 has to be a good year for us. He said, because man, let me tell you right now, he was speaking to himself, and, and I, I didn't have the courage to say, man, you tell the truth, Doc, because 016 has been rough, you know. But I agreed with him in, in, on, on the phone that, man, we have no choice but to believe God for something powerful. Number one, because we're still here. We're still here. And without being too selfish tonight, there are some of you who are still here. Enemy didn't want to see you still alive. Devil sought to kill you. You thought you'd make one trip too many to the emergency room or too many bad news on the job, at home, in the family, even at church. But somehow or another, you're still here. And that's a confidence. And that's a conviction deep down inside. God is up to something big. God is up to something big. You know, right when we want to complain about our problems, God has a way of letting you see someone else's problems. And then you realize, what I'm dealing with is maybe not all that bad. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Our church will not survive outside of keeping our eyes on the Lord. We know how to do church. We've been abundantly blessed. No God Almighty, no one can deny. Them black folk over there got blessed. And people are still saying that. But could it be that when you look at Hebrews 12, you can't really close the entire chapter without understanding the shakening? I'll pick that up on Sunday morning if the Lord say the same. Hebrew 12, Elder Redmond gives two comparisons of mountains. The first mount is Mount Sinai. When you go back to Exodus 19, Mount Sinai could not easily be approached. In fact, the Bible says if you touched Mount Sinai, you died. Moses says, I was so scared to death, I couldn't get close to the thing, and I'm Moses, friend of God, and I still chat intimidated. Animals were shot by getting close to Mount Sinai. But the author says, you have not come to Mount Sinai. In fact, you've come to Mount Zion. And this is a different kind of mountain. Because on this mountain, there'll be a shakening, not just from earth, but also from heaven. And the things in your life that may not have been best for you will be shaken away. We get upset because we're very personal, we're very domestic. And we don't understand when things get shaken in our lives. We want our cars, we want our jewelry, we want our clothes, we want our titles, we want our positions, we want our relationships, we want everything the way we want them because we're consumerists. And this is America. We have a right to have it all. God says, this is my kingdom. And then on this mountain, the city of the living God, that is the heavenly Jerusalem, there are an innumerable, the Bible says, company of angels to the general assembly of the saints, that there is a shaking in heaven so the things that are not necessarily good or God for your life will be shaken away. But God makes a promise. The things that remain, 
will be made strong. The things that remain will be made strong. I thought I'd gone through some seasons of shaping in my life in 40 some odd years, but I'm now finding out even the more God's word is sure. There's a word that's floating around the house. We hadn't really taken time to capitalize on it yet, but it's the word test. Some of us have gone through some tests that we thought we'd have never have gone through. But so the natural, so the spiritual, you cannot possibly pass a test and there not be an elevation. You cannot possibly have passed a test and there's not a promotion. You cannot have possibly passed a test and God did not have some type of reward. Heads about eyes are closed. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's begun and he shall complete this faith, that is, this belief in action. Consider him who through the opposition and bitter hostility endured the cross, the shame, so that you and I will not get grow weary at our well-doing. But Father, tonight I just thank you, Lord, for all of the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I just speak those things as not as though they were. God, thank you for those that will endure hardship as a good soldier. Thank you for those that will run the race and keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. God, tonight may we have the conviction and the courage to lay aside every weight and even every sin that so ensnares, entangles, and besets us. God, tonight may you raise up a mountain of men, a generation of women, that will keep their eyes fixed on you. May it not be about man nor woman, may it not be about our flesh. No personalities, no office, no gifts, no titles, but may it be all about Jesus. May that be reflected in our praise and in our worship. May it be reflected, God, in our time of Bible study and devotion. Even in our homes behind closed doors and in our closet. May we seek your face like never before. God, thank you for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for the Bible says that they shall be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Thank you tonight that the Bible says that we should seek peace with all men. Seek peace with all men. Seek peace with all men without holiness. No man shall see the Lord. God, may we see you in our generation. May we see you in our services. May we see you in our church. May we see you in our families. May we see you in all that we do. God, show yourself strong and mighty. We thank you for every trial, every test that we have endured. God, think it not strange, the Bible says, concerning the fiery trials that we're faced. But God, we know there's wisdom. There's patience, there's endurance, there's promises, there's blessings, there's increase on the other side of that test. Father, tonight, thank you for men and women that you're shaking and you allow us to go through a seasoning of shaking. For we have not come to a mountain where men and women unjustly died, but we've come to Mount Zion, the place where God abides. And Father, tonight, I thank you for moving in the lives of these, your precious people, in the name of Jesus. May we study to show ourselves approved. May we make the commitment, God, to serve you like never before in the name of Jesus. And we pray this prayer not as an attachment, but as an agreement. For we agree with Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who daily maketh intercession just for us. God, would you bless my brothers and sisters tonight? In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said amen.